Welcome everyone to our Sunday morning service. Uh, it's great again to have you have you with us on this beautiful Melbourne morning. So I was reflecting as the songs were being sung today uh, that you know the, the image of a of a boat that's been wanting to just stay in the same position and and rather than the boat uh, drifting off, uh, the idea of a boat throwing throwing in the anchor into the water and the idea of the anchor, the purpose of the anchor is to be able to stabilize that boat or not allow that boat to drift off and so keep that boat in the position that it's it's meant to be and I, I was thinking about life in itself and how at the end of the day that anchor in a life and everything that is about life re revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't it? It, it you know and all the the religions out there and all the philosophies out there and all the thinking out there at the end of the day God's big story God's narrative from the beginning of time right to the end of time is about one person and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. From the book of Genesis all the way through to the last book in the Bible, it's just always been about Jesus. And that's a remarkable thing. And I think in life, I believe in life, if you want to experience that anchor, that, that experience where you're stable, uh, where you're secure, where you're sure, and you're not drifting, you're not drifting into any idea, into any thought, into any kind of emotion at any time because there is just no, no real clarity or, or certainty in your life. That anchor, it has always been, since the beginning of time, it's always been the Lord Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, that whoever really, truly believes in him doesn't perish. There isn't destruction for that person. There isn't death for that person but rather there is everlasting life. And that everlasting life doesn't start in heaven, though it is heaven. That everlasting life starts today. God gives us life. Uh, the anchor of life at the end of the day, the anchor of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're drifting in life, you know, if, if all we're living in life is about hoping that's going to get better in life, um, you know, that maybe one day it's going to, things are going to get better. Maybe one day I'm going to feel better. We don't need to hope like that. If we have a sure anchor, we have a very sure anchor, and that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him doesn't perish but have everlasting life. You know, that's a life that doesn't have to think that it's going to die and be destroyed but have a life for eternity, and that eternity starts now. We have a life with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if your life isn't secure, if your life isn't sure, if, if you're living life thinking maybe, maybe I'm, I'm going to go to heaven or maybe, maybe I, I know Jesus, it doesn't have to be like that. He's a sure anchor. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's been God's story from, from the beginning. So I really want to welcome those who've come for the first time today and we pray that this morning uh, that you may listen to the voice of God, that you may hear what it is that God has to tell you this morning and that your heart may be open to the things of the Lord. This is our great desire as a church. Our great desire as, as a church is not that um, you become more knowledgeable, though we want you to be more knowledgeable. Our heart's desire as a church is that you come into a deep relationship, a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on uh, the word that is spoken. And I pray that your hearts are encouraged, uh, your hearts are lifted through his word this morning. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, your love and your grace that you have for us, that you sent your only son into this world to be the saviour of this world. And there's no other saviour, Lord. It's the Lord Jesus from the beginning right to the end. It's always been about him. 
and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you sent him for us, that he may uh, wash us and cleanse us and restore us to you, that we may have a relationship and have a sure hope and anchor right to the, right to the very end. So, Father, we pray your blessing on uh, today and all that is said, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, I'm going to continue to speak a little bit on Philemon, which I started last week, gave you a little bit of an introduction to the book of Philemon. You know, is it a book? Is it a letter? It's certainly a very short letter. And um, you might find it hard to find in your Bible. <laughs> so I'm going to get you to, I'll give you a moment to flick to it. So the book of Philemon in the scriptures. And really, it's actually, it's, it's an interesting book because it's quite a short letter. It's not actually quite a long letter. It's quite a short letter. And um, what God is doing here is that he's writing to a man who is um, facing, I guess, a trial in life that he has to decide what he's going to do with this, with this situation. He has to decide what he's going to do with the situation that was really confronting uh, to him. And what would you do? What would you do in a situation where your nature, your nature doesn't want to do a particular thing? Your nature actually wants to do something else. What do you actually do about that? You know, you might be hoping you want to go this way, but God is saying you've got to go that way. When we read the book of Philemon or the letter to Philemon, we see something very similar to this. We see someone who is having to confront their own nature and make a decision that's not based on how they're feeling, but rather based on what God is wanting them to do. And that's a really important thing to consider. It's a really important thing to consider. What is God telling us to do? Not what I feel like I want to do. This is a very short letter. It's under 500 words. So it's something that someone could have emailed to someone else. Um, but it's a beautiful letter that helps us to understand a little bit about what God is telling us to do when we perhaps feel like doing something something a little bit differently. It talks about a man that's, a, that's um, being afflicted, yet he's still serving. That's the Apostle Paul. Yeah, he's afflicted, he's in prison, but he's still serving. His vision, his mind, his heart is on other things other than just his circumstances. He could have sat in prison, the Apostle Paul, and he could have thought to himself, woe is me. But he didn't. As he sat in prison for his faith, he decided that he was going to continue to do the things that God was going to ask him to do. We can choose to sit in our circumstances and perhaps um, wallow in our circumstances, or we can by faith choose to say, Lord, how are you going to still use me? What do you still want me to do in life? How do you still want me to live? It's a story also about a man that should have been punished, but God was pleading that he'd be restored. Imagine that. Imagine that. People want people punished. And sometimes punishment is necessary. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But people want people punished. And God begins to plead on their behalf as if to say, listen, can we consider not punishing him? Can we consider restoring him? What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful, this is the heart of God. He wants to restore people and, and he's not necessarily wants to be quick to punish people. If people are changing their ways, if people are turning from their ways and people are being uh, restored from their sin, then God wants to restore these people back into fellowship and back into community. So it's also a story about a man that should have been punished, but God was desiring for him to be restored. It's a man that's also being mistreated. He's been mistreated. And now God is saying, will you forgive? Has that happened before in your life? When you've been mistreated, you've been let down, and God simply is saying to you, will you forgive? 
we forgive in that circumstance? And so this is a story about a man that's also been mistreated and also a story about a man who's been challenged to find forgiveness in his heart for the person who's mistreated him. This is a personal letter, a very intimate letter that anyone who is very, very serious about fellowship with one another, about a friendship or a relationship in Christ with one another, anyone who's absolutely serious about this must read this letter. They must. You must read this letter because it's full. It's full of all this rich wisdom to help us to know how to relate to one another in the Lord. And anything of those experiences, whether you're being afflicted, whether you've been mistreated, whether there's all, there's all to be punishment, all these things and perhaps even more can be drawn out and learned from this letter. Small letter, one chapter, if you, you can call it a chapter, one chapter that tells us all these things. In this letter, there is the power of being able to say sorry and the power of being able to say I forgive you. In this letter, we learn something of how we must humble ourselves to say sorry if we've wronged someone and also how we must be courageous enough to be able to say, I forgive you if someone has wronged us. If you can't do those things, obviously there is still, still a struggle that the Lord needs to, to heal in your heart, that the humility to say, I'm sorry, and the courage to say, I forgive you. These things come out of this letter as well. And there's probably, if you like, three key characters in this, in this letter. There's Paul the Apostle, who's obviously writing this, this, this letter. There's uh, um, Philemon, who, who's the man that, that Paul is writing to, uh, who has a church in his house, which we'll look at in a moment. And there's Onesimus, who is, who, who is was Philemon's servant, who ran away from, from Philemon. So there's three characters, Paul the Apostle, Philemon the house owner, if you like, or the master of the master, and Onesimus, the slave. And in that, we draw out many, many things that help us live life well, to live life the way Christ has called us to live. But you need to ask this question. Are you prepared to do this out of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? If you want to live life a different way, if you want to live life outside of Christ, that's your choice. But I'll tell you the truth. You'll never know life the way God designed his creation to know life. You'll never know life like that. You'll go on hoping things will get better. You'll go on hoping things will make sense. But the anchor of your life, the anchor is the Lord, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to this book and let's uh, consider. I'm just going to go through a few verses this morning. We won't finish it. Um, uh, I'll just go through and share with you a few. Verses. Let's just read verses one, um, one to two, first of all. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus and fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Okay, in introduction, it's not uncommon for Paul to give this kind of introduction, and we'll break this, down, we'll break this introduction down in, in a little moment. But I want you to picture something for a moment. I want you to I want to set the scene for you and I want you to consider something in light of the spirit or the intention or the attitude that the Apostle Paul was wanting to write to Philemon about. Imagine for a moment I have a gardener in my home. He comes every week and he does a little bit of my garden and he cleans up my garden and, and he mows my lawn or he, he trims my hedges. And, and, and over the over the, the year, he comes once a week. And over the year, we build up a bit of a rapport 
you know, it's not, it's not quite a friend. It's just kind of someone who works for me, but we've got a, not a bad relationship with each other. And he comes each week and he fixes up my garden once a week. And I see him quite regularly. And he, he's, if you like, employed by me. You know, I, I pay him for his services. And then I find after 12 months, he disappears. He disappears after 12 months of doing my game. All of a sudden, I have no trace of him. I contact his number and there's no number. There's no response. No other way of contacting him. He's just, he's just gone. He's just disappeared. And then I realize after a while, I realize what he's done. He's actually been taking money from my home each time he's been coming. And he's been accumulating all this wealth in, 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 without me realizing. And by the time he has left and he's run away, he's disappeared with about $20,000 of my money. I realized that, <laughs> that all along in the 12 months that I've known him, yeah, sure, he's been working faithfully for me and, and doing what I have to do. But all of a sudden, all along, what I've realized he's been taking, and now he's gone with $20,000 of my money. What do I do? How do I react? How do I respond to this? Now, the story doesn't end. This man, because of his nature, he ends up getting involved in more and more trouble. And because he gets in more and more trouble, he's caught by the police and he ends up in prison. This man, who was my gardener, ends up in prison. Now, lo and behold, in prison, he meets Brother George. Because Brother George is in prison, not because of anything he did wrong, but because he was preaching Christ. So Brother George is in prison and this man meets him. He talks to Brother George. Brother George faithfully leads him to the Lord. He becomes a Christian. Now, Brother George sends me a message and says, Brother, I want you to consider something. This man who was with you, he's come across my path. He's come across my path in prison. I've shared the gospel with him. He's given his heart to Jesus. He loves Jesus and he wants to change his life around. And I'm telling you something. I'm going to send him back to you once he gets out of prison because I want you and him to be reconciled together because he was working for you and I want him to keep working for you now. But now more than just a gardener, but a brother. What do I do? And then Brother George says in his letter, you know that 20000 that he owes you? Just put it on my account. And if you want me to pay it, I'll pay that money. What do I do? <laughs> do I take the money? Do I don't take the money? Do I bring this man back? What, what do I say? I, I, I'm, I'm being guided by a trusted Christian to do something that seems unreasonable in this world, that seems bizarre in this world to do. Now, that's what that illustration is just a, a, a touch. It's just a touch of what the intensity that Philemon would have experienced in the days where his own slave runs away and we, and we hear that perhaps he also stole from him. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, rather than punishing him, which could have happened in those days, I want you to take him back no longer just as a servant, but now as a brother. And the Apostle Paul tells Philemon the same thing. If he owes you anything, put it to my account. These are the challenges that Philemon would have experienced, a little bit like the illustration I just gave you. But nonetheless, there is something that goes deep in our heart that has to deal and wrestle with what we consider to be justice and what God considers to be restoration. What we consider to be punishment and what God, God considers to be mercy. What do we do? Now, for some of you, it's no big deal because money is maybe not an issue. Oh, 20000 you know what, at the end of the day, I can live with it. But what about if it meant everything to you? What about if it wasn't 20,000? What if it was more? 
What about if the person didn't just take money or did something else quite serious to your house or, or to someone that was of, of, of love, someone you loved? What do you do? What do you do in that situation? And so Paul is appealing to Philemon to have in his heart the capacity to forgive. And Paul was also appealing, I think, to Onesimus to have in his heart to go back and say sorry. And this is a very powerful experience of life and how life is lived because in Christ, many things are restored. And that's why as a church, the church is expected to experience healing and restoration. Okay, maybe outside the church, there may not be this experience with the same level. But in the church, there ought to be from every single person who is a committed member of Christ, there ought to be in every single person the heart and the capacity to be someone who shows restoration, mercy and forgiveness, dare I say, even refreshment to the, to the hearts of other saints. And so this is where the church is unique. It stands apart. It is set apart, different to the rest of the world. And every person that is a member of the body of Christ ought to give this and ought to experience this. And if you waver, you need to get it right. We don't want communities of friends. We don't want, that's not the primary focus of the fellowship. What we want, yes, we want good friends, absolutely, but we want people who love one another with the love of Christ. That's first and foremost because I believe, brothers and sisters, if we love one another with the love of Christ, all these other things, friendship, restoration, healing, forgiveness, mercy, flow out of this, flow out of a strength, a strength that the enemy can't penetrate. This is a a, a beautiful letter that highlights what it is to be truly living out your faith. Just look at it. Test yourself. How do you treat, we said last week, how do you treat the people around you that you care for the most? Are you consistent in your care for them? Think about the people who annoy you, the people that you know in life that might get under your skin. How do you treat them? Same thing. People in the fellowship that might act a certain way, speak a certain way. How do you treat them? At the end of the day, do you avoid them? Do you wish you don't you have to you don't have to talk to them? How, how do you how do you confront the whole thing? At the end of the day, your love ought to be the love of Christ. It is not partial, the Bible says. The, 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 the book of James makes that clear. It's not, a, it's not one of partiality or a respecter of persons. We don't hug the rich man and despise the poor man. We don't say to the one who is wealthy, hey, can I be your friend? And the one who comes in dressed in poor clothes, uh, you know, maybe, maybe at some stage I'll be your friend. We don't think like that as Christians. We look at everyone through the eyes or the lens or the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the love of God. How do you resolve this? You've got to settle it in your heart. You've got to settle it in your heart. You've got to say, Lord, let your love, let it be your love that flows from my heart to everyone around me. Philemon was a man who had the church in his house. Look at the Bible says in verse verse 2, to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, the fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Now, we know at some point the Apostle Paul um, would have met Philemon during his, his missionary journey. He would have met Philemon and through his, through his own um, uh, uh, mission work would have brought Philemon to the Lord. From that, Philemon becomes a Christian. We, 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 think, we think that these two names here, Archippus is his wife. 
uh, sorry, Afia is his wife and Akibius is his son. We think that's the case. It could be someone else. It could be maybe his sister. It could be his nephew. But we think it could be his, probably his wife and his son. And here they are having church in their home. What a beautiful thing. Not only has he become a Christian, but he's opened his home to have church there. It's like he's on Zoom. <laughs> you know, he's opened his home to have church there. He wants his house to be a house of worship, a house of fellowship. Now, we know that's how the early church did it. Until church buildings were built, they met in homes. They did this. They had fellowship together. They, they would have read the word together. They would have been communicated the word, like letters like this, and they would have prayed together. And so here they were meeting together in the house of Philemon. Boy, it looks like a man of reputation. It looks like a man of character. It looks like a man of, of, of faith. But nonetheless, do you think his home was a home that was immune from trial? Do you think his home was a home that was immune from trial, uh, from, um, from pressure? Do you think that would have been the case for him? Of course not. Even though he was a faithful leader and his wife perhaps was faithful in her service and his son all working together for the things of the Lord, absolutely, though this house might have been the most righteous house in this area, they would have experienced trial and they would have experienced pressure and they would have experienced all the things that all Christians experience in life. However, however, the beauty is in this experience, God is still wanting to establish something in the life of Philemon. He was wanting still to establish something in, in the experience of how he's going to treat someone who mistreats him. How is he going to respond to Onesimus returning to his home? Maybe he had his wife whispering to him, Philemon, if Onesimus ever comes back, this is what we've got to do. Maybe he had his son saying, Dad, you don't realize what Onesimus did to me. You don't realize how what he took from me. Maybe he had pressure from his household that he couldn't experience or couldn't uh, perhaps walk in the same faith. Maybe he had his neighbors saying, don't you ever let Onesimus come back because we're concerned about our families. Maybe he had all this pressure. Maybe he had the authorities say, hey, when he comes back, I want you to report him to us because we need to deal with him. He could have had a lot of pressures. And just like Job, he had to make a decision despite all the pressures around him. Will he trust God? Will he trust God? Now, for Onesimus, Onesimus was a little bit different because he had to go with the letter in his hand. He couldn't have had Paul have emailed Philemon and pre-warned him before he comes. So in some ways, he had to walk that journey in faith, believing that when he got there, Philemon was going to read the letter and respond to the Apostle Paul. This is, if you like, a walk of faith. There, isn't no, there is no guarantee here. There is no certainty here. And so this is a walk of faith, but Paul appeals to many things. And he reflects here a beautiful thing. This is the church in action. They are meeting in the home and Paul refers to them in certain way. There's a beautiful definitions here of what Christians are. Listen to this. Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why did he say that? Because most likely he's in prison writing this letter to Philemon. Yes, there are times when the Christian, because of circumstances in life and because of the way the world sees things, will be afflicted because of their faith. Okay, maybe it's not prison. For some it is particularly around the world, sadly. There are people who are still being imprisoned and afflicted physically for their faith. But maybe in our world, in our country today, in this state, maybe it's not imprisonment, maybe it's something else, but certainly there is affliction, there is suffering that occurs because you decide to follow Jesus. Listen, if you never experience suffering for your faith, I'd question your faith. 
you think, oh, what do you mean by that? I have to suffer. I have to go out and get suffered. I mean, suffer. No, no, no. Listen, the Bible says he who lives godly will suffer persecution. I'm not talking about imprisonment. I'm not talking about necessarily going and being killed or something like that. I'm talking about when you stand up for Jesus, there is going to be at times an uncomfortability or, or, or a difficulty that's going to result. And that's going to cause an element of suffering because you do not compromise your faith. That's not arrogance. That's not being um, particularly difficult because you're a difficult person. That's just because you are not compromising your faith. And so there is an element of this. But Paul, he writes, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner. I'm in, in this place because I love Jesus. Wow. This is what we experience in life. We don't run from affliction. We don't run when things get tough. We don't run when we want to avoid our problems and what people think of us. Remember the seed that fell among the stones? It was shallow. The earth was shallow, Jesus said. And so when persecution arose, the plant withered because there was no depth of ground. You need to get deep in Jesus. You need to deepen your fellowship with Christ. You need to deepen your love for him. And you need to nourish yourself in the things of the Lord and to be abiding in him. So when persecution arises, and boy, we don't know what persecution may still come on this earth. That when persecution arises, your faith is immovable. It's solid. It's strong. Even if the world comes against you. Even if the governments come against you, there needs to be a solid faith. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus is Lord and we want to keep being faithful to his word. Paul, he says, is a prisoner. And he talks about Philemon then as a beloved friend. He doesn't love it? Beloved friends and fellow worker. You know, Philemon, he's appealing to Philemon. Let me, let me describe to you who you are to me. You are beloved. This word beloved comes from the word agape, which is basically a sacrificial or a divine love, a love that God initiates, a love that God imparts into the hearts of his people, the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. He says, Philemon, you are my beloved. You are my divinely loved friend. You are the one I sacrifice for. You are the one I have given my life up for. Philemon, you are this kind of friend to me, and you are my fellow worker. Isn't that what a beautiful description is the church? This is a beautiful description of the church in action. This is the church alive. This is a church stimulated by the Holy Spirit, a church that looks at one another and says, you are beloved, not you are loved because you make me feel good, but you are beloved. You are sacrificially loved. I love you because I love you with the love of Christ. I don't love you because somehow I feel nice when I'm with you. That's not the primary reason for my love. I love you because Christ loves you. And, boy, what the strength of a fellowship if we all love in this way. Imagine just loving one another based on how we make each other feel. Every month you make 10 new friends. 
but we love because Christ loved us. This is the love. And he says, and you're my laborer, my fellow worker. And you know, when I look around the church today, I think of people who are so invested in the church, and you know who you are. I don't need to mention your names. The people who are so invested in making this church operate in, for the glory of God, everything from the seen to the unseen, everything from the children to the to adults, everything from the kitchen to the, the, the background on Zoom, you know who you are. Everyone that invests in the fellowship, I consider you, we consider you fellow labourers, What labourers, volunteers, people who give their heart for the kingdom of God. You know what? I'll tell you the truth. If you're a Christian, you need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, tell me, Lord, speak to me, Lord. How is it that I can continue to be a labourer for you? What is it, Lord God, that you want me to do? This is the church active, the church active that loves one another, the church active that is a labourer with one another. And Paul appeals to Philemon. He says, Philemon, I love you. I love you and I love working with you. How beautiful is that? And he's about to tell him, as my fellow labourer that's loved, I want to tell you something really important. I want to tell you something very intimate. I've got a very big task for you that I want you to listen very closely. He mentions perhaps we, we presume his wife and his son, and he mentions perhaps, uh, sorry, and he also mentions the church in his house. Let's look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. The one thing that Philemon here, that's very, very obvious for him, is that his faith was demonstrated in how he lived. Yeah, his faith wasn't a behind doors. His faith wasn't something that you have to kind of look carefully. Oh, yes, I see his faith. It wasn't like that. That somehow, you know, there was a kind of, you know, an unre- unveiling of his faith on in some ways. It was just evident. He lived life. You know, he went off to the shops. You saw his faith. He was going through a difficult time. You saw his faith. This is how I read Philemon. Yeah. He's having dinner with his family. His faith is evident. He's having church in his house. His faith is evident. It's not... It's not broken apart. Sunday morning, whoa, best Christian in the world. Monday, oh, I'm not sure about him being Christian anymore. That's not how his faith worked. And that's not how our faith works today. Our faith is evident wherever we are and whatever we're going through. This is the faith of a Christian. And so what Paul is saying here is that I thank my God. I make mention with you always in prayers. And I hear, I hear of your love and faith that you have toward all the saints. I know it. I see it. I'm hearing about it. People are talking about it. Boy, Philemon, he loves the children of God. Philemon, he loves the saints of God. Philemon, he's a man of faith and he's a man of love. And Paul saying to him, brother, I know you love the saints. And that's why I can trust that this task I'm about to put before you is going to be a task that you're willing to embrace because you love God's people. Boy, if you don't love God's people, The smallest thing they'll do to you is going to frustrate you, annoy you, make you feel uncomfortable, maybe even make you not want to talk to them. I don't know. 
But when you love God's people, then you're able to bring about what we've been speaking about, this restoration, this healing, this, this um, unity that is brought about, this strength because of the love of God. He, knew, he was known for his love and he was known for his faith. You know, I thought about this and I apologise for diverting for a moment, but I thought about this and I, and I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to finish like this. He was known for his love and faith. It's easy to think sometimes to yourself, what is this love? What is this faith? And um, we can think about what this love is and we can come up with all kinds of things about what this love looks like. If Philemon showed this love toward his wife, toward his children, toward his friends, toward his neighbours, toward his, the government of the day, if Philemon showed this love and faith, what did it look like? And we can try and think of different words, but let me read to you before I close. Let me read to you and remind us all of what love really looks like. And, and we, we maybe don't turn to this passage much because we hear it a lot. But it is, again, one of the most profound descriptions of love. Love not like the world's love. Love like the love of Christ. And I want to read it to you in 1 Corinthians. So if we have this love that Paul is talking about and a love that is of agape love, a sacrificial divine love, this is what we're going to see. A love that suffers long or is very, very patient. And I want you to think about your patience as a person. Your capacity to patiently endure difficult people, difficult circumstances, things that don't go right for you. Are you quick to react, wave your fist, yell at someone, bite back at something? Are you quick to get flustered and frustrated? And do you call frustration just something that everyone experiences? But really, maybe your frustration is your impatience. This is the love that suffers long. Looks at the person patiently and considers, what are they going through to act like this? What are they experiencing maybe to act like the way they're acting? Love is patient. Love doesn't compromise, but love is patient. Love perhaps wants to wait and see. Is there more to the story before I say something? Is there more to this person's experience before I give them counsel or advice? Because love is patient. He goes on to say that love is also kind. Would your love be described as kindness? Would your reputation say that you're a kind person? Because love is patient or long-suffering, or suffers long, and it's kind. What you say, what you do, and how you live, do people experience kindness? Love doesn't envy. In your heart, is your love for Christ so intimate that it doesn't ponder all the things you don't have and all the things you wish you were? 
and all the things you wish you could do and places you could go and, and people, person you can be. Do, do you, this love doesn't envy. There's a sense, I believe, that love is settled in what God is doing in your life. Love does not parade itself. Yeah, it speaks for itself. doesn't walk around saying, oh, look at me. Aren't I good? See what I did? I'd hear my message. I'd see what the other day what happened. Love doesn't parade itself. And this is a beautiful one for social media, isn't it? Love doesn't parade itself. How many posts on Instagram? How many posts on Facebook? How many posts on, um, just thinking of the other one at the moment, but how many posts that people are there parading themselves? Look at me. Look how I look. Look what I'm doing. Now, listen, I don't have a problem with people posting things. I have no issue at all with people posting things. But have a think about the motivation why you, you, post. And if it's, if it's parading yourself and because, you know what, if you don't get a certain amount of likes, you think, oh, man, I'm shattered, then you need to consider that. And I'm not telling you it's wrong or right. And I'm not telling you stop or start. I'm just saying consider. Consider for yourself the heart and the intention in which you do things. Love doesn't parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't walk with a sense of pride. You know, it's prepared to be humble. If it's wrong, it says I'm wrong. If it needs to say sorry, I'm sorry. It doesn't inflict people because of pride. It doesn't argue things out of pride. It argues things out of logic and reason and truth. Love is not puffed up. Love doesn't behave rudely. Yeah? Think about your own life. Are you rude to people? Do you speak rudely? Do you act rudely? Can your husband or wife say they are not rude toward me? Can your mum and dad or, or child say they're not rude toward me? Love doesn't act rudely. Love doesn't seek its own. Yeah? It doesn't, it's not about me. It's not about me thinking this is, you know, as, as long as it fits around me. Love doesn't seek its own. And love is not provoked. Love doesn't think evil. <laughs> you know how many times you've you got to catch your thoughts because you're not, it's not about you wanting to, to think about the wrongs of people and, and look what they're doing and, and they're so wrong and they're so bad. No, no, love wants to think good and praying for people. We don't try and catch people out waiting yes i got him see he was doing wrong no love praise love praise love loves people in the love of christ it's truthful it's without compromise but it loves um, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth and rejoices in the truth and then finally it bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things and it endures all things philemon was known for his faith and love are we are we as fellow laborers as beloved of one another i pray brothers and sisters that by god's grace and by the spirit of god as he works in our lives that we are people known for our faith and love that when we're tasked with something there is a confidence because of our faith and love 
that we'd be willing by God's strength and by God's grace to accomplish it. Let me pray for us this morning as we come before the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to give us uh, strength and uh, wisdom as we continue to live life the way God designed life to be lived. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you, Father in heaven, that you are God who, who sees all things and knows all things. And, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that our love and our faith may be evident because you are working in our hearts. Lord, we are not, we really, really are so dependent on you. Uh, in and of ourselves, Father, we are nothing. But because of who you are and what you've done in our lives, you have made us something amazing. And we thank you for this. So, Father, I pray, continue to bless your church and make your face to shine upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.